Welcome to our annual Seder meal, celebrating the traditional Jewish Passover from a Christian perspective. We hope you enjoy time with your family around the table tonight, and may the presence of peace and joy fill your home. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in um, for our annual Seder celebration, our Passover Seder celebration. It is a, a great time to come together as a family, and though we're doing it online this year, I still feel very close to each one of you, and uh, I just love this celebration, and I know that many of you do, and I just pray that this uh, connects with you in the way that uh, I know God wants it to. So let's pray together before we start and invite the Lord to just be in all of this. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together, and Lord, we know that you're uh, no, there's no distance that makes no difference to you, God, at all. And so these people that are all over the place that are watching this, we just know, God, that your spirit can bring us into unity. Your spirit can bring us into oneness. We ask, Lord, that tonight that you would speak uh, just to each one of us and that this teaching would really be fresh and new and be meaningful, especially in this time, God, that we're all going through together. Uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you that we can trust you. We thank you for the promise of Passover. We thank you for the miracle of Passover. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Passover celebration. It's a Jewish tradition. They've been doing it probably regularly every year for like 4,500 years. And the Jewish Passover celebration is the Seder. That's the meal that uh, is associated with the Passover uh, celebration. And some of you maybe have never... Um, observed a Passover or have never been to a Seder, and I want to explain just a little bit why we, a Christian church, would take the time to observe it and why we really feel like it's important. Uh, we've been doing this for a long time, uh, I think about 15 years, and so there's a reason that we do it. And I just want to explain that a little bit. A lot of people don't know, a lot of Christians don't know, that the Last Supper, uh, depicted here on the screen, was the first Passover celebration. Uh, a lot of people see it as the Lord's Supper and the Last Supper, the Last Supper because it's the last time Jesus was assembled with his disciples and he was going to suffer the next day. We know that right after this meal that he went out and went to the garden and he prayed and asked God, Lord, if this cup can pass from me, let it, but not my will, but your will be done. We know all that story, but what we don't know is that that meal with his disciples was a Passover celebration. What a lot of, a lot of people don't know also is that the Christian church, the early Christian church, from this Last Supper until, well, for about 300 years, they celebrated the Passover, Seder, as a Christian church for all those years. And it was actually in the 4th century when Constantine, um, he issued a declaration that said that the irregularity of observing the Passover, it has to be corrected. In fact, the church uh, in, that, in that 4th century it became the acceptable church. It became the Roman church, the universal church. And when it did, uh, there was a lot of people in the church leadership that wanted to distance Christianity from the Jewish roots. And so they said that anyone observing Passover or anyone doing anything that had Jewish roots, they made it illegal. In fact, it was even under the penalty of death uh, that they told Christians they could not observe Passover. So it stopped. It, but for 300 plus years, the church had done this. And the reason that they did it from the Last Supper until the, the church outlawed it is because it's a beautiful connection between what Jesus did and what the Old Testament Passover meant. 
And they married the two together, and they realized that it was so, so important to celebrate this because Christ's death and resurrection are actually um, incorporated into the Passover. So what they did is they moved the uh, Passover celebration out of the Jewish roots, and they began to celebrate something that we call Easter, and then they said, and that Easter will be the Sunday that follows the first moon after the vernal equinox, and the reason they did that is because it was a time that was associated with a pagan fertility god, Ishtar, and that's where we get the name Easter. And so we want to go back and rediscover uh, what the Passover is about. We like to commemorate uh, by this Seder meal uh, what it really means uh, to celebrate the Passover. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was celebrating with the, uh, at that Passover meal with his disciples, he said this out of Luke 22. He said, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I mean, when Jesus said that to his disciples, he knew that what they were doing there that night would be the last time that they celebrated the Passover just looking at the exodus out of Egypt. He knew that from then on, it would be a Passover that would be celebrating what was about to take place the next day. Jesus knew that he was about to go to the garden after that meal was over and to pray to God with such earnestness. And he knew that he was going to be arrested in that garden. He knew that he was going to be taken and tried and that he was going to be beaten. And he knew that he was going to be crucified. He knew all of that. And he knew that that would be a fulfillment of the Passover. So that's why we, we celebrate it. Exodus 12 says, The Passover is a memorial to you. You shall celebrate its feast to the Lord throughout all generations. You're to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. When, when God had that written by the Holy Spirit in Exodus 12, he knew that this was going to be a permanent ordinance. He didn't say that about everything he instituted back then. But he said it about Passover because it's something that the church should never have given up. It's something that we should have continued to celebrate all the years since, since it happened uh, in that first century church. So we observe Passover, and we observe Passover looking forward to the time uh, that we will celebrate it in heaven, even with Jesus leading us in, in the Passover meal, in the Seder. So there's a lot of uh, different things about this meal that it's supposed to be different. The uh, table setting is different. We have a Seder plate up here with all the elements uh, that seem to be uh, odd, and we'll explain those as we go through. But this is meant to be an unusual meal. It's not supposed to be business as usual. So I hope if you're doing this at home that the, the feeling of your house is different, that the atmosphere is different, the music is different, the smells are different, the food is different. It's a special time because it's supposed to be a once-a-year event that sets out this day uh, among any other day. So... Just for an, uh, some of you guys that know about the Passover, or maybe you have celebrated it before, I just want to make it clear that we will skip over some of the Jewish traditions uh, in this Passover, just because we have edited it, edited it to... Um, actually, we, we do, a normal Passover is like four hours long, and so we're not going to do that. Ours is a lot shorter than that. But uh, we'll, we don't like do the four questions that we ask the children in our Passover meal, and we don't really do the children looking for the epigumen. But both of those things, um, I want you to feel free to incorporate those into your 
Passover at home, your Seder at home. Uh, you can do this any way you want to. The beauty of doing this the way we're doing it this year is you can pause this and restart it and, and make it as long or as short as you like. So uh, thank you for joining us. It's such a great time that we get to spend together. So right now, I'm going to ask Pastor Wendy to come up. She's the mother of this house and ask her to light the festival candles to begin the Passover. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by the blood of the Passover lamb and inspired us to kindle the lights of Passover. Now we'll light the second candle. remind us that we must help and not hurt, cause joy and not sorrow, create joy and not destroy, and help all to be free. May those we nurture light the world with the word and good deeds. May your light be light. Surround us always. Amen. Amen. Okay, now if you will, uh, if you have children in your home, we're going to do a blessing over our children. Um, so if you will have the sons, your sons, stand, and if you will place your hand upon their head, we'll say this blessing together. May the Lord make you like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now if you'd have your daughters stand, and if you'd put your hand upon their head and say this blessing. And may the Lord make you like Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah. Now for us, this doesn't mean a lot. Uh, we read these Old Testament names and we're like, okay. But what he's saying here is we're putting a blessing over our children that they could grow up to be men and women of faith, that they would grow up in the Lord and that they would recognize God's uh, sovereignty and his authority and his preeminence. And so that's what we're blessing our children with. We're going to do one more blessing. Uh, Arianic blessing. And this is for everyone. And so what I'm going to ask you to do at home is maybe all stand up together as a family and join hands. And I want you to speak this over one another. Maybe you have uh, friends in your home. Maybe you've invited people to join you in this Seder celebration. So uh, let's just say this together and bless one another with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face shine upon you. And upon you be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Beautiful blessing out of Numbers chapter 6. Well, the Passover meal um, is built around four glasses of wine. And it's built around four promises that go with each one of those glasses of wine. Um, why wine? Why would God want us to be drinking wine at church? And the reason is, is because God really created wine to bring joy. Uh, it's so funny, so many things God creates that he intends for them to be good, he intends for them to be for our enjoyment, but because of abuse and because of uh, excess, 
So many people turn these into negative things. But drinking wine from the beginning, God gave it to man to bring joy into his home. So whenever we're doing this uh, Seder celebration, we're drinking four glasses of wine and we're we're remembering these tremendous promises with each glass of wine that we drink. Now, it's... I want to be a, just remind you here that this is a Jewish, traditional Jewish celebration. And many of these uh, blessings that we're saying tonight are blessings that the Jews have been saying for like 4,500 years. So it's kind of amazing. You read these and you think, wow, these are talking about Jesus. And basically they are. Uh, even though it's a Jewish thing, it's really talking about Jesus. Because these four blessings, if you look at, I mean, the four promises, if you look at this, are I will bring you out of bondage, I will save you. I will redeem you, and I will take you to be my people. Beautiful promises. But that's what we're going to be looking at uh, as we go through tonight. Now, some of you, um, I know, are not supposed to drink alcohol. This is not permission for you to do it. If, you're, uh, if you struggle with that, I just don't want you to feel like you have to. I, don't do, I drink sparkling grape juice up here, not because I'm a teetotaler, but because uh, my skill set does not involve drinking wine and teaching the Bible. So I learned that after the first Seder when I drank four glasses of real wine, and anyway, some of you were there, so it was kind of different. Anyway, here we go. So let's do the first cup of wine and say the first promise. So we pour our wine in here. And if you will hold your glass of wine, and we will say this blessing together. This promise, the first promise is, I will bring you out of bondage. And so the first blessing is, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive and brought us to this appointed season. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. Drink the first glass of wine. Okay. You know, it's all built around wine because wine is symbolic of the Lord's blood. And, you know, I know this is why Satan hates Passover and why the Passover has been so attacked over the years. And uh, it's because it's, all about, it's built around these, these cups of wine and talking about the, uh, the blood of the lamb and talking about the blood. Satan hates Passover because this celebration of Jesus' blood is, is so important to us in our Christian faith because we know without the shedding of blood, There's no remission of sin. And without the shedding of the blood of the Lamb, Christianity has no power. And so that's why this is so important that we celebrate this year after year after year as a reminder. Now it comes to a time in the traditional Seder where you wash your hands. Now, the traditional Jewish hand washing, we learned from our friend Pastor Rabbi, I mean, Rabbi Hanan, that the way to do this in a traditional Jewish manner uh, was to take water from a pitcher and pour it over the right hand two times and then pour it over the left hand two times and say the blessing and then dry your hands. Well, we're not going to pour water here. You might be doing it at home, but we're not going to do it here. But what we are going to do is I'm going to dip my hands in this water two times, my right hand, and then my left hand, and then... We're going to say a blessing before we dry our hands. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Amen. And dry our hands. 
It's traditionally thought that when this was going on, when they were washing their hands, that this is when Jesus took an apron and tied it around himself, and he took the water pitcher and the basin, and he went to each disciple and began to wash their feet. Yes, that's what happened at the Last Supper. That's what happened at that Passover meal, is they incorporated that into this Passover celebration. Now we get to the elements on the tray, and the first ones we're going to look at is we're going to eat uh, the parsley dipped in salt water. Now what does that mean? Well, eating these elements of this tray, they are actually intended to tell the story of Passover. Uh, the Passover that's in Exodus, where the Jews had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, and uh, then Moses came, you know, and he talked to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh hardened his heart, and, and then God sent the plagues, and finally Pharaoh let God's people go, and they left, and that's the Exodus. That's what this whole story's about, and we'll get into that as we go along. But eating these elements tells that story, and so the first place this story starts is with these people who are in bondage. Now, Many of us, we know what it's like to be in bondage to sin. We, you know, sometimes you feel almost trapped when you're in sin. You're almost emotionally in bondage. You can't seem to ever do the right thing. And God understands that, and he loves us, and he has sent a way, he has made a way for us to be free from bondage, and that's what the Passover story tells us. But when we do this um, eating the parsley dipped in salt water, what it's saying is you take the parsley leaf, and it's very... Uh, limber, it's very limp, and it's, it doesn't hardly stand up on its own. And what this represents is it's a, it's a hyssop, it's a, it's a sign of our brokenness, it's a sign of our need, a need for God to deliver us because we're in bondage. Now, to make this apply to today, uh, here we are in this pandemic, it's worldwide, uh, it's kind of just growing, and there's a lot of things associated to this, like fear and panic and economic, you know, fear of economic failure, different things that people are just speaking out on the airways all the time. And so, you know, we do understand what this means to be kind of in bondage to what's going on in the world. We have no authority or power. Uh, it's almost as if we're slaves to what's happening in the world. And so this hyssop represents our helplessness, you know, as, as a human being. And then we dip it into the salt water, and as we dip it into the salt water, we eat that. And then we say this blessing. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the earth. Now why do we eat the salt water? The salt water reminds us of the bitterness of tears, what it means to be helpless in a situation that you feel like you're in bondage, you feel like you don't have control over it. Slaves never had control. And that's what this represents, that we eat this and it reminds us of the tears and we say this blessing and we look to God for help. Next, we're going to take our matzah. And we have a matzah bag here and I don't know if you have one of these at home, but in a traditional matzah bag in the Jewish household, there's three chambers and there's three pieces of matzah. And the matzah, uh, we're going to remove the middle piece the matzah is just a large cracker like this. And you remove the middle piece because this matzah actually represents God. And if you think about this, there's three pieces to represent the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. We take the middle piece out because it represents the Son. This bread, now that we are taking out of here in a traditional Jewish home, is called the bread of affliction. Just like our Lord was afflicted while he was being tortured before he was crucified. This bread is also called the bread of life. Look at the matzah. It's striped, it's pierced, it has holes in it. I hope you can see that, but it's striped. And this represents what happened to Jesus before he went to the cross. In fact, Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace was upon him, and by his stripes we have been healed. Matzah is unleavened bread. It means that there's no yeast in it. And we know that yeast represents sin. And so Jesus was also the only sinless person that's ever walked on the face of the earth. So this represents not only Jesus was he was beaten and he was uh, whipped before he went to the cross, it represents the purity of Jesus. Now you think, okay, how do you know all that? Well, look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says that for Christ is the Passover lamb, and he's also been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate this feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is a fascinating scripture to me because this is 100% proof that in the first century church, as, as Jesus had been resurrected and now the church is uh, in, you know, it's in its uh, infancy, that Paul's saying we're still celebrating the Passover. But instead of doing it in the old way, we're looking at a new way, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which represents Christ. At this time, you take this matzah and you break it into two pieces. Now you have a larger piece and a smaller piece. And what you do now is you take the larger piece, and this is all Jewish tradition, and you get a napkin and you wrap this piece of matzah that's been broken and you wrap it and then you actually hide it. And so it is hidden out of sight and then you take the last piece of matzah and that's when we eat the matzah and we say this traditional blessing. So take this small piece of matzah that you have left, pass it around to all of your family and uh, friends, whoever, and everyone break off a piece of the matzah, and then we will say this blessing and we will eat the matzah. So let's say this blessing together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Okay, now we're going to eat the bitter herbs. The bitter herbs are in the center of your plate, and they are traditionally horseradish. And the eating of bitter herbs is the reminder, again, of slavery. It's a reminder of the bitterness of sin or the bitterness even of sickness. It's even the bitterness of torment because of these things that's going on. Sometimes the situation in the world can be bad, but it's actually the torment that goes on in our mind or the emotional torment that is even worse. And so this represents that. And so they think that it was at this point in the Last Supper that Jesus dipped the bread into the bitter herbs and he actually gave it to Judas and told Judas, go and do what you have to do quickly. And it said in John 13 that Judas 
left the meal and went out to betray the Lord. And so we take this lettuce, there's lettuce on our tray, and we take it and we dip it in the horseradish, and we say this blessing, and then we eat the horseradish. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has set us apart by his word and commanded us to eat bitter herbs. And it's supposed to taste bad, should taste bad, um, because it's bitter. And it's supposed to remind us of the bitterness of slavery. Well, it's at this time, normally in our Seder celebration, that one of you guys gets to come up here and share a testimony. A testimony of what it was like before Jesus and uh, how you were a slave either to sin or to whatever uh, you were enslaved by. And then how Jesus came and answered and set you free. Um, this year's a little different. I, I didn't ask anyone to come and share a testimony because I thought that it was a good time for us to focus on what's going on in the world today. You know, whenever um, God came and he was going to set the Israelites free from Egypt, he sent Moses, and we know what happened. He went to Pharaoh and he said, you know, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened, you know, God says, God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart and that Pharaoh wouldn't let him go. And it took a long time from the time that God sent a deliverer for the children of Israel to actually go free. And that's what I want to concentrate on tonight in this testimony of what it feels like to be enslaved. You know, we, don't, we aren't in charge of the timetable. God has sent us a Savior. God has sent us a deliverer uh, into our world, and we know Jesus as our Savior. And many times, he's, he, you know, we find ourselves in a difficult situation, uh, some trouble on the earth or something like that. And it's just not instantly um, taken care of. There's sometimes we have a disease and we know that Jesus took all disease on himself and that by his stripes that we're healed. But sometimes it doesn't happen automatically. Sometimes it takes some time uh, before that, that healing comes. And that's why I wanted to take the time tonight to talk about this situation that we're in the world today. You know, we're in a pandemic, of course, and that's the reason we're not meeting together. Uh, some of this stuff feels like it's been forced upon us, and I don't know if you know that, but that's a sign of slavery. It's like when you're a slave, things get imposed upon you um, because they can. And so the enemy, in my opinion, has imposed something upon all of us that has restricted us. It's, it's put a hardship on us, and we cry out to the Lord, and we want instant relief. And we don't get it sometimes. It doesn't happen immediately, just like it didn't happen in the Passover. It didn't happen in the Exodus. It took some time. In fact, sometimes it got worse before it got better. And I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just trying to say that this is something that, that happens. It has happened, and it, and it seems to be happening now. But we're not to give up faith, because we know God's our deliverer, and we know that these hardships, though they're out of our control, God's going to take them off of us. Why? Because he's faithful. But, you know, he doesn't want us to stay as slaves. God doesn't want us to be helpless. He doesn't want us to get to a place where, well, it's just the way it is. We accept the slavery. And God doesn't want us to accept less than what he promises. And this is what God promises. The same thing God promised to Israel back then, he promises to us today. In Israel's day, he said, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. I'm going to lead you through the desert, and I'm going to lead you to your promised land. 
And I'll tell you this, it's the same promise we have today. I'm going to lead you out of this pandemic, and Jesus is going to lead you out of this, and no matter how long it takes, he's going to bring you out of it, and he's going to bring you into your abundant life. That's what he's promised for every one of us. We're not to settle for less than what God wants to give us. We're not to settle for what le what's, you know, something less than what Jesus died to bring us. It's so important that we hang on to our faith in these times of trial. Because this is the Passover story. And it's at this time in the, in the meal that they read the Passover story. And you at home may want to pause this and go to Exodus and read that entire story to your family and to your kids. It, it's beautiful. But for time's sake, we'll just go over a piece of it right now. It says that the Lord said, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. God sees the distress. He sees the distress all over the earth right now. And he's not uncaring. He cares a lot. He hears our cries. And I can tell you this, that the prayers are going up all over the world. Christians everywhere are uniting their prayers and just crying out to God, God, end this virus. Bring a cure for this. It's like there's almost a great unity in the world. It's like the whole world against one common enemy. And I love that because it brings a unity to mankind, something that blesses God's heart very much. So God hears our cries, and he sees our distress, and he is the deliverer. But sometimes it takes a little while for him to lead us out into our own spacious land, out of the pandemic, into a healthy and healed land. That's why we've been looking for the past few weeks, as I've been teaching on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at James chapter 1, where it says in verse 2, my brethren, that's us as Christians, consider it all joy when you fall into various trials. And this is a trial, and it's a various trial, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce patience. And I'm telling you, patience is key. Patience is key. It was key for the, Egypt, for the Israelites in their Egyptian bondage. They had to wait for God to do the perfect work. And when it was done, he led them out. He led them out and into their promised land. And that's what will happen with us as well. So let's pour the second cup and look at this second promise. The second promise, that I will save you, that, was, that, that word sozo, you know, the, in the traditional Jewish thing, it's, it's Hebrew, I will save you. But in our Greek uh, New Testament, the word saved is sozo. It's saved, healed, and delivered. So God isn't just committed to getting us out of uh, slavery. God is committing to getting those remnants of slavery out of our mind. He's committed to getting the, the scars of this, uh, this pandemic out of our mind. He wants a complete deliverance for each one of us, but it takes time. And so you pour the second cup, and the second cup is interesting the way we do this, is we take the second cup, which represents joy, and we take it, and with each one of the plagues that God brought against the Egyptians, some people don't know this, but those plagues were designed 
to attack uh, Egyptian false gods. It was designed to attack the gods that the Egyptians thought were so powerful because God wanted to show that these, these false gods had no power whatsoever. And so he brought plague after plague after plague against specific things. These don't mean much to us when we look at boils and frogs and gnats. That doesn't mean anything to us. But to those people in that day, it was a specific uh, plague designed to destroy the power of that false god. Now, the interesting thing about the word plague in Hebrew, it actually means death blow. So what God was doing was he was dealing a death blow to every one of these false gods. And so as we, as we take the second cup, traditionally what the Jews do is they'll say each one of the plagues and they'll take their finger and they'll drop a drop of the wine into to a, a bowl and it represents the joy leaving their life as this thing drug on, as it took time for them to get free and it was dragging on. Uh, the joy was kind of ebbing away, and they're, they're remembering that, that it took some time, and sometimes our joy and our faith seems to diminish. And, you know, we don't want it to, but sometimes it's real to say that God understands our, humani our humanity, and, uh, and it's just this way of us showing uh, how the joy can leave when something is prolonged. So let's go ahead and let's look at each one of these plagues, and, you know, these false gods, and as we do it, we'll, we'll say each one of these names, and it, it's, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't mean a lot to us to, to say the old Egyptian god plagues because they don't really have much application to our life. And so what I did is I was praying about this, this particular slide, and, and I went ahead and I wrote down some things in my notes that I believe that we should uh, absolutely not bend our knee to because we have this tendency of Christians to bend our knee to something that's trying to bow us down, that's trying to establish itself as a false god over us. And what do I mean by that? Because false gods have something in common. False gods of today are like the false gods that were there 4,500 years ago. False gods demand our attention. They're something that says, you know, they have power, and it says, I want, the, I want your attention to be diverted. So like in this particular situation we're in, you know, our attention's diverted to the pandemic, and suddenly it becomes the focus of our attention, and we're reading about it, and we're trying to learn all about it, and we want to, and it's like we've just made it into something bigger than maybe God wanted it to be. And also, it demands our finances. You know, a, a God, a false God always demands a painful sacrifice of a uh, of finances or something. And so uh, this is what this is. You know, it's like it's put financial hardship on everybody. And so this false God wants to oppress us and almost treat us in, like slaves. And so I've written down nine different uh, false gods in my mind that we need to pray deliverance from in this season. And so as we dip our finger in this, I'm going to say these, gods, these false God names, and you can say them too. And then we can just agree in prayer that these are not gods, that they are under our feet, and that we serve only Jesus as our God. And so let's do it together. The first one is the coronavirus. The second one is this respiratory distress. And I just want to say that God breathes his life into each one of us. It's his breath that gives us life. And for it to be in a respiratory 
uh, illness is just to me almost a, a spit in the face of what God says brings us life. We all have breath in our lungs, and it's given to us by God. Another one is fear. Fear has no place. It is not, um, it's not to demand our attention, and we're certainly not to elevate it above the promises of God. Financial ruin. You know, it's like this is a false God, like, oh, my goodness, you know, poverty is going to raise up. And, and I just want to say God has promised to meet our needs according to his riches and glory, and that's what we're to hang on to. Next is hopelessness. And you know what? With God, you're never hopeless. You're always full of hope. Why? Because God is love, and it says that love always is hopeful. Always. Next one is sorrow. You know, with God, there's no sorrow. God, he, 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 he gives us joy. In fact, it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Next is isolation. You know, he gets us alone, and he, you know, this, this loneliness creeps in. And I just want to say loneliness is one of the cruelest taskmasters at all, uh, of all. And this whole thing, the way it's pushed us into isolation, and it really is causing loneliness for so many, I just want to speak to it and say it's not a God, and we will come back together. We will have fellowship, and our families will be reunited. And the last one is that torment, that emotional and mental torment. It says that God gave us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Torment has no place in the heart and the mind the emotions of a Christian. And so we speak uh, that this is a cup of judgment. And that's what it is. It's the cup of judgment where God brings judgment against the things that are afflicting his people, oppressing his people. And God brings judgment on it all. But the final one and the tenth one, the final act of deliverance is the death of the firstborn. And we know in Exodus that the death angel came into Egypt, and it, it killed the firstborn of Pharaoh, killed the firstborn of servants. It even killed the firstborn of animals. But it was the final death blow. It was the final act that brought complete deliverance for the children of Israel. And here's the uh, connection. Jesus came and took the death blow so that we wouldn't have to take it. His blood was spilt. The death of the Lamb of God, God's firstborn. Exodus 12, 12 through 14. And then whenever the blood was applied to the doorpost, the death angel passed over the house that the Lamb's blood was on. Now, this blood that was on the doorpost was applied with hyssop. And I love that because it's like the parsley. It's a very limp... Uh, uh, weed, and, and it represents our brokenness. And the way that we put the blood of Jesus over our doorpost is our brokenness because we have no way of saving ourselves. We have no way of delivering ourselves. We come to God and say, our brokenness is all we have to bring, but we need you, Lord. And he lets us dip that brokenness in the blood of Jesus and apply that over our doorpost. That's faith. That's the faith that we have in Jesus' blood. And the death angel passed over that house. Now, here's, here's just a side note that I, I want you to think about. That that blood was on the doorpost and that death angel passed over. Why did the death angel pass over that house? Because the blood was on the door. The, de the, the death angel did not pa pass over that house because the people inside were good people. 
I'm sure there were rotten people that put the blood on their doorpost and the death angel passed over. There were probably some really good people that the death angel passed over. It didn't matter. It was a matter of the blood of Jesus was over their doorpost. So here's what I want to say to you today. That if you turn to God, even in the first second that you turn to God and you apply Jesus' blood over your household, you are under the protection of God just the same as somebody that's been walking with God for 40 years. God is not mad at you. God wants you just to come with the brokenness of your life and apply the blood of Jesus over your doorpost, and he will take care of you. It's just that simple act of faith that brings you under the blood, and it's so powerful. It's so powerful that Jesus said these words. He said, those that believe in me, they will never die. <laughs> That's so powerful. It just means that when we cease to live on this earth, we step right into eternity with him. That's so powerful because the blood of Jesus is over the doorpost. So here's the second cup, and this is a beautiful blessing. And so we're going to say it all together, and it's on your screen right there. Let's say it together. Thus it is our duty to thank, to laud, to praise, to glorify, to exalt, to adore, to bless, to elevate, to honor the one who did all these miracles for our fathers and for us. He took us from slavery to freedom, from sorrow to joy, from mourning to festivity, from deep darkness to great light, from bondage to redemption. Let us therefore recite before him, hallelujah, praise God, and now we lift and drink the second cup together. And now, um, we're going to do um, what they call the, uh, we're going to eat this sandwich, and they, you take the matzah, and you take a, a decent-sized piece, and you break it, and then you put some of the horseradish on one piece, and then you take some of the haroset, which is a sweet apple substance that's on here, that, and here's what it represents. It represents that for us, this matzah that's broken is, of course, the broken body of our Lord. And this horseradish represents the bitterness of our lives, that many times we go through trials and tri tribulation, different things, and it's bitter. And then the sweetness of this horoset represents the sweetness of God's deliverance. And so as we bring these two together and we make this sandwich, we eat this in faith, knowing that even though we're in something that's very bitter, that the sweetness of God's deliverance is going to come for all of us because he's faithful and he's going to set us free and it's going to be a wonderful time of rejoicing. And so let's uh, say this um, blessing together and then let's eat this sandwich. As we celebrate here tonight, may we think of people everywhere in the world that are not free, persecuted, hungry, or suffering. Let us remember them with a prayer of hope for freedom and for peace. And now we eat the sandwich. Okay. We are now at a time when we eat our Seder meal together. And I hope that many of you at home have prepared a special meal, even if you haven't. Even if you're having um, fish sticks and french fries, it doesn't matter. 
as long as you do it with a grateful heart. But it's time to eat the Passover meal. You can pause this, and there's a short segment after this that we'll, uh, we have two more glasses of wine to go, and then we will end uh, at the end. So um, I just want to say before we go that normally in our um, Passover meal, we have a lamb, and it's front and center in our church, and it's a very um, strong visual. And we have that for a reason, and it's because in the traditional Jewish Passover, they only have a bone on their Passover plate. We had a milk bone here because we didn't have the other kind of bone. So, um, but, uh, you know, the bone is all that's on their plate. They, they've all been eliminated, the lamb, from their Seder meal. And I think that's so sad because it's supposed to be, if you read Exodus, the centerpiece of the meal is the lamb. And, uh, and so we put the lamb front and center, and it's a strong visual because we think it is the center, uh, the, the focus of this meal. The reason it's the focus is because all through the Bible, God talks about lambs. In Genesis, you know, he, he, uh, he told Abraham to take Isaac up on a hill, and, and they had the wood, they had the fire, but they didn't have an offering. And Isaac turned to Abraham and said, hey, you know, where's the offering? And, and God... And, and Abraham said, God will supply the lamb. And he did. And then in John, uh, Jesus is coming to be baptized. And John looks up and sees Jesus coming and says, Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then in Revelation, in chapter 5, whenever uh, there's crying in the, in the heavens because no one is worthy to open the scroll, what happens that this lamb that was there, behold, this lamb that looked like it had been slain, came into the courtroom of God and took the scroll from the Father's hand and was worthy enough to open it. All through the Bible, Genesis, John, Revelation, it talks about the lamb of God. It's to be the centerpiece of everything we do as Christians, as people of God. It's supposed to be a lamb that's male without blemish. And, and the Lord said that it was to be examined in Exodus. He goes, you get this this lamb, that's, you examine it for four days to make sure that it's spotless. And I just want to say this. When Jesus came in in the triumphal entry, right before the, um, he was to be arrested and everything, it says that he came in and that for four straight days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, before he came into uh, his time of being arrested, that he was teaching in the temple openly. He was being examined just like the Lamb of God in Exodus. And then Mark tells us that it was at 3 p.m. that Jesus died. And it's not coincidence that was the exact time that they were killing the Passover lambs for the sacrifices in Jerusalem. It said in Exodus that when you took the Passover lamb and you examined it four days, the whole assembly or the whole family would kill this lamb, slaughter this lamb that you were about to partake. And I just want to say this. People say, who killed Jesus? We all did. It was something that the whole world did because Jesus came to die for the sin of the world, not just of certain people or a certain race of people. We all did. We all were the ones that caused him to go to the cross. So let's eat our Passover meal together, and then we'll come back afterwards and we'll say the blessing after the meal, which is a Jewish tradition. Thank you.
Okay, well, I hope you had a wonderful Passover meal and that you enjoyed your family and that uh, it's just a special time that y'all can spend together. Let's say the blessing after the meal now, if you'll join me. May the name of the Lord be blessed from now on and forevermore. Blessed by our God, whose food we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. Amen. Amen. Okay. It's right now in the meal that uh, you find the ofikamen. You know, we had hidden the ofikamen. That's the large piece of matzah when we broke the matzah cracker and we wrapped it in a napkin. And we go and we find the ofikamen. And most traditions, uh, most Jewish Passover, the, the children find this. And when they find it, whoever finds it gets a prize. The thing that's beautiful about this, <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing beautiful, is that this has been done for, like I said, 4,500 years probably. And they're wrapping this large broken piece of the bread of affliction in a, in a napkin. And it represents our Lord being wrapped in burial clothes and being hidden away for three days. And then he's to be found. And you unwrap it, and it's supposed to be a joyous occasion. When the kids find it, everybody's happy, it's such a big deal, and then you bring out this bread of affliction. Now, here's what's, here's what's really amazing to me, that it was Jesus that actually was leading this Passover at the Lord's Supper, and it was Jesus who broke this bread it was probably Jesus who wrapped it in the napkin, and there weren't any little kids there, we don't think, so it was probably Jesus who pulled it out and, and did this very thing. And it's like he knew that this was the, this is what he was about to go through. This is why in the garden he had, um, you know, he knew his body would be broken. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would be buried and that, and that he would have to resurrect. This is why that, uh, you know, he was human, and there was a, there was an element in there of, you know, he didn't want to go through all that. But because of he loved us so much that he chose to go through it. And so whenever um, he resurrected and he wasn't in the tomb, and it says that Mary came looking. She was the first one that came looking for Jesus after, after the resurrection. And the angels asked her, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. And that's what this represents. This is also beautiful to me. After the uh, bread of affliction, the opicumen, was found and unwrapped, that the tradition says that this is when Jesus took this matzah and he broke it. It says he took the bread and he broke it. And this is what he said to his disciples at that first meal. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they all took part of that bread. And he was saying, this is my body, this pierced and striped and broken body, and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. We see that this is when Jesus first instituted communion for his, for his church. The next thing that happens is the third cup of wine is poured. And look at the name of this. Look at the name of this. This is the cup of redemption. Is that amazing? This is the cup of redemption. I will redeem you is the promise that goes with this cup. You know, tradition also says that it was at this time that Jesus said these words, 
that this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. The cup of redemption. So, let's take the third cup, let's say the blessing, and let's drink the third cup of redemption. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Drink the cup. Traditionally now, we, sing, we read the, and they actually sing it. Um, we're not going to sing it, but um, read or sing Psalm 126. You may want to sing it at your home, and uh, feel free to do that if you want to. But it's the song of a sense. And it, it's really saying that our lives uh, as children of God should be a testimony to the power of God. Uh, this whole deliverance from slavery, it should be the testimony, and you see it in the, in the Bible, where they talk about it over and over and over again. Our delivery from bondage, our delivery from slavery, should be a testimony to everyone in the world that's going through tough times that God is faithful and he delivers those that he loves. So I'm going to read this and you can read along with me. When the, Lord, <clears throat> when the Lord brought his exiles back, let me start over. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. As streams renew the desert, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They, will, they weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. Amen, amen. Well, you'll notice here that we have a table set. And this is uh, traditionally the seat for Elijah because the traditional Jewish Seder always sets an empty place for Elijah because Elijah's supposed to come before the Messiah comes. And so they're always looking for Elijah, for Elijah first. And uh, they, of course, don't believe that the Messiah has come. But we, who know that the, uh, Elijah came in, the, in John the Baptist and that Jesus came and he was the Messiah. So we still set this table because we know someday in faith that Jesus will be sitting there, and Jesus actually will be joining us in this Seder meal in heaven. We know that it's that important to God because it's a permanent ordinance to be celebrated forever and ever. So we look forward to that day, and that's why we set this place. Okay, we have one more cup of wine in its fourth cup. And this one is, is uh, representative of the fourth promise, and it is, I will take you to be my people. I will take you to be mine. Let's lift the fourth cup, and let's praise and dance in celebration before our Lord. This is the time that we have a time of praise. And we have a time of dance and a time of celebration. And if you've been to one of our Seder meals, you know this is the most fun part of the whole evening. And everybody gets up and everybody dances and everybody participates. And it's a time of praise. And I think we actually will have a little bit of footage of that happening uh, as you watch here in a minute.
This Seder is officially over, and at the end of every Seder, traditionally, you say, next year in Jerusalem, uh, because in the, when the Jews were in exile, uh, they were always looking to go back to their promised land, and when they were scattered all over the wor world before they even had a nation in 1948, they would celebrate this every year, and they'd say, next year in Jerusalem, and it was just a declaration of faith that they would be able to come back to Jerusalem, which they have, and uh, that is a great thing for the Jewish people. But in the situation that we're in today, and we're not able to be here together, and we're not able to be in our church building together, uh, it's kind of sad, but at the same time, we have an opportunity to make a statement uh, of faith that next year in this building with our church family, we will celebrate the Seder. And this Seder is favorably accepted Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope that you really enjoyed doing this at home. We love you. We look so much. We look forward so much to getting back together and actually having a celebration together as a church family once more. We love you and hope to see you soon. God bless. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope to be reunited with you all very soon. 